What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Maxwell Kozmalski. Joined with me is my co-host, Nolan Claypeck, Audio Master Jay Cotter, and the ninth guest of the New School Project podcast, Ron Williams III. What's up, brother? everybody? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me, Max. Hey, thanks for having or thanks for coming. Yeah, we're really glad to have you. And uh, anyone who's tuning in for the first time, thank you so much for listening. Your support means the world to us. A little bit about the New School Project. We are... We are a group of guys who are just trying to do our best for the world. Our goals are to educate, empower, inform, and unite the people of the up and coming generation. We talk about things they don't want us to talk about. We talk about things that we feel like we should have learned. We, we shoot the shit. We teach you how to not get screwed over by our corrupt government. And we talk about aliens. 100%. So basically everything. Ooh. Yeah, we, now, how does that relate to mortgages? It, but, uh, I'm sure we can find a connection. relates you know? to everything. <laughs> You'll, I, you'll I read see something too on uh, Twitter yesterday that they they said they have found some alien signal or some sort of signal from the new uh, images out of the James Webb telescope. Oh, oh yeah, shit. Came out. is that right? They, they've heard. I, I read something. I don't know how true it is because you never you know you got to take right. everything with a little bit of grain of salt that you see on Twitter. But huh. uh, they apparently have found some sort of signal that is emanating some there. movement. Huh? Something. Honestly, yeah. like it. I feel like it's almost a matter of time something like that happens. I mean, I imagine there's probably millions of intelligent civilizations <laughs> across the entire universe. Like, it's so vast we can't even begin to comprehend it. I mean, you'd think there'd be signals going fucking everywhere. Exactly. I mean, there's two realities out there. Either we're alone in this universe or we're not. Which one is and scarier? They're equally as scary, in my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're equally as scary. That's, I, that's how I feel about life and death. I'm like, life is fucking scary, man. Death, also scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we usually blindside our guests and be like, so you know, well, Max does, and he's like, so you know, do you believe in aliens? <laughs> but I guess, we usually but I guess we're coming end, out though. with it, you know. There we go. Yeah, fuck y- yes. It. For the all record, right, so I do believe in aliens. <laughs> all right, so he believes go. in aliens. All four of us here, we believe in aliens. Uh, maybe that diminishes our credibility. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, that's not the topic of conversation, though. Our friend Ron here, he's a mortgage lender. He and I have done some business together as I'm in real estate and he writes mortgages and whatnot. And we're gonna talk about what's going on in the markets because a lot, of sh- a lot of crazy shit has happened. You know, rates are going up, affordability of homes is decreasing, home prices are just, they've just been going through the roof and you know, some people are like, oh, that's great, my house, my equity is increasing value. But what about the guy who hasn't bought a home yet? It's gonna cost him a lot more. So we're gonna dissect all this stuff. We're gonna have some fun with it. We're gonna. I don't know. We're just mm-hmm. gonna spitball. So this. tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, just to start off, we don't even gotta go into uh, the mortgage lending right away. You know. Okay. Uh, well, I'm Ron. For the for the guests here who didn't hear when Max was doing his lovely intro, uh, I am a graduate of Albion College. I graduated there in 2017. Okay. Uh, with a degree in finance. Nice. Got my career started in mortgages shortly after, in uh, 2019. And been doing it ever since. Other than that, I uh, I did play baseball in college, so I was a collegiate athlete. There we go. And that was a huge part of who I was for most of my life until post college. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, I'm an avid uh, exercise enthusiast, and I love gaming in my free time. Awesome. Pretty much all my time is spent either writing loans uh, with my family or sitting at my computer playing some games. <laughs> That's awesome, right bro. So, what made you get into mortgages? 
it honestly did it you was know you were going to get into it in college no i did not have a plan in college to get into mortgages my dream as a kid was i want to be like jordan belfort mm -hmm. and oh, i want to make go. it on the <laughs> new york stock exchange be a stockbroker and slang stocks out there uh, nice got an internship when i was in college and kind of realized that that world wasn't everything that you think it is as a young kid oh yeah uh, and it wasn't really my opportunity or my uh, bag of tricks, so to say. So I didn't really enjoy it very much. Got an opportunity, though, to study uh, and do mortgages in 2019. That kind of came onto my plate. Not really asked for, but the opportunity was there. And I've been doing it ever since. I really enjoy it. Uh, got to learn under one of the best managers who has over 30 years in experience in the game. He's been through the early 80s. Uh, been through the 2008 financial crisis. So a lot of the things that we are possibly facing in today's real estate world. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's got to be great having that experience because, you know, I I was, I don't know, 10, 10 years old when, you know, the, the 2008 crisis was going on. And mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, I wasn't paying attention to stocks, mortgages, what the Federal Reserve was doing. And <laughs> this exactly. and that so all i can do is look back in hindsight and you know try to interpret uh the past and see what might what the future could yeah. be like right yeah absolutely for sure and seeing the market that we're in and i'm sure we'll touch on this in a little bit later uh, it's so vastly different from 2008 mm -hmm. uh, but it's much more akin to the market that we had back in the early 80s uh, the main reason for that is the big I word that's out there. Mm -hmm. Interest sure you guys rates? Know it. No, not interest rates, the other one. Uh, in oh, inflation. inflation. Ah, inflation that, that's yeah. why our market today is gonna be a little bit more akin to, I believe at least, that, uh, the that time in the early 80s when yeah. we did see such high inflation rates. Well, we were talking to a guy today and he was saying that in uh, 2008, there was a bunch of, at least in this area, there was like a thousand homes foreclosing um, a month. month. Yeah. But mm -hmm. it, the market that's like we're going through right now is different than 2008. That's what he thought. So, yeah, it's cool hearing that like you just add on and be like, yeah. And then I think it could be more related to the 1980s because he said nothing about the 1980s. I think it's going to follow that a little bit closer from the 2008 times. People back then when we were going through that foreclosure crisis, a lot of that was due to the fact that almost, I believe, 60%, and I could be completely wrong on that statistic, mm -hmm. so don't 100% quote me, uh, but it was some, a very high percentage of mortgage loans mm -hmm. were either non-QM loans, which are not your standard Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac conventional style or adjustable uh, loan rate. products. They were adjustable rates. Uh, they had something back in the day called NINAs, mm -hmm. which were no income, no assets. <laughs> if you had a pulse, you could get approved for a loan. They would give you an adjustable rate. Your initial rate would be ultra low. So it doesn't matter how much income that you make, you qualify for it. And you'd probably get a fat commission selling that. So it probably further incentivized the brokers to... Yes. The, the mortgage pay structure from at least what I was told by my manager and mentor uh, was vastly, vastly different back then. He, he would tell me stories about, yeah, you know, I could sell a $150,000 house and make near $10,000 on a loan doing that. Jeez. Uh, Where does that money come from? So, uh, shady people. <laughs> if you want a good, if you want a great movie to watch, watch The Big Short. That'll explain a lot of it. Oh, I've I've seen that. I love how they cut to the celebrities. They're like, 
all right, obviously you don't understand this shit. So here's Margot Robbie to explain what a mortgage-backed security is. And then they had Selena Gomez uh, uh, explain what a collateralized debt obligation was. I thought that was funny. Mm -hmm. But I I think in that movie, the turning point when uh, Steve, was it Steve Carell? Yeah, Steve Carell was in the movie. Yeah, so he he realized like, oh shit, this is bad. When the, the stripper he was talking to uh, told him that she had six houses and mm-hmm. they just like gave her all those loans. And he was like, he was shook after that. And he like, yeah. he fucking left. He made some phone calls. He's like, this is fucking bad. I, I, I want to say, I, I don't know for sure. I think it might've been Leo. I think Leo may have been in that movie too. Or I could be thinking of a different one where he was sitting in a bar executing the final trade, so to say, that you know kind of sealed the deal in the movie. It might have been him, might have been Steve Carell's character. Um, I forget. Not certain. Uh, I could be thinking of a completely different movie too. <laughs> it, <laughs> it is a good movie though, because most people don't really understand the the great financial crisis and mm-hmm. how that basically it destroyed people's wealth. It destroyed people's 401ks, retirement accounts. It Everything. De- it collapsed the value of people's homes. It forced people <laughs> out of their homes. So how how did it do that? And and then like, like so like when you said it like an adjustable rate is different than like a normal rate. What do you mean by that? And like what are the repercussions of an adjustable rate? So when you get an adjustable rate mortgage, typically your mortgage period is locked for a certain number of years. Most commonly done in three, five, or seven year increments. So for that first time frame, your monthly payment is no different than if you had a traditional fixed rate mortgage. But after that initial period is done, your interest rate can adjust by whatever that margin is for your loan, plus the rate of the current index. Mm -hmm. And while there are caps on how high that rate can go, if that fully indexed rate is much higher, you're gonna get hit with a much, much higher payment. So that shock back in 2008 to many homeowners that could only qualify for a much lesser home Mm -hmm. if they were getting a traditional mortgage, uh, when their payments adjusted, they could no longer afford it. Holy shit. Combine that with uh, everything that was going on with the stock market, the auto industry, and all the massive layoffs that started there. sending the whole economy into a massive recession. Nobody could then sell their home for what they bought it for. Uh, And that's why you saw so many foreclosures. They owed more money than they could sell the house for and the bank had to foreclose on it. Yeah, and then they they would package up all these mortgages and then they'd offer them out as investment vehicles. You know, any any Joe Blow could invest in these. You know, the Federal Reserve owns a lot of mortgage-backed securities. Yes. And it's just a cluster of mortgages and uh, basically, they were rated higher than they actually were. Mm-hmm. So they were garbage. They weren't mm-hmm. worth much, but everybody thought they were worth a lot. Yep. And then, you know, to further diversify, they would take all the mortgage-backed securities and then combine a whole bunch of groups of mortgage-backed securities, put them into CDOs, which is a collateralized debt obligation, and then it'd be an even bigger, further leveraged financial product. And uh, eventually, the chickens came home to roost, and... Mm-hmm. You know, someone got caught holding the bag. Uh, I believe it was uh, Lehman. Yeah, Lehman. Lehman Brothers. And who who else went down? Who who's that fucking guy from that show? The the truck. He went there with a truck and a hundred bucks. Oh, it's Bear Stearns. Yeah. Yes. Bear What's Stearns. that show called? Um, uh, Undercover. 
billionaire. Yeah, yeah. Glenn Stearns starred in Undercover Billionaire, and it was kick-ass. Yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, Stern, Bear Stearns went under, and you know, shit got real bad. Have Have you yeah. seen a? It's either Margin Call or. Uh, oh no, no! It's too big to fail. Have you seen that one? I have not seen that. It's before. just like The Big Short. Okay. And they I'll have like the. <laughs> they have like the treasury secretary in there, uh, you know, obviously an actor, and he's playing uh, Ben Bernanke, and uh, he, he was the chairman of the Fed, and I don't remember the name of the treasury secretary or whatever, but uh, they explained how like they were trying so hard to not use taxpayer dollars to bail out all these big corporations until, you know, this big conglomerate AIG which is a huge insurance provider they yep. they've got pensions 401k's and all that and then one, once they decided to use taxpayer dollars and you know start printing money and stuff to bail out these corporations it was because AIG was going to go under mm-hmm. and that would have it people would have the whole financial yeah, ecosystem people would have woken up and been like all right after 55 years of hard work my $790,000 that I have you know, saved up in my retirement, it's gone. AIG went bankrupt. So that's mm-hmm. that's how it got to the point where like cataclysm or we print money and kick the can down the road. And, yeah. and, and with both of you guys, are you guys talking about 2008 specifically? Yeah. Yes, this is 2008 that, that we're talking about right now. So, so like say, like so with our market right now, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody like us is trying to buy a home, you know? What are the problems that we face that are like more related to the 1980s, in your opinion? Um, affordability. Okay. Affordability is the biggest uh, issue that we have in the housing market today. Uh, the second issue is supply. And a lot of that is f- from the fear of 2008 occurring again. We have vastly in the last 14 to 15 years, however many years it's been, yeah, 14 now, uh, underbuilt the number of homes that are needed to sustain uh, our population and home growth. Um, so combine that with a lot of other factors that have happened, and I can touch on that too. Uh, that underbuilding has created a supply issue, which that is the second piece of the biggest challenges that people are facing in the market today, uh, which we didn't necessarily have that in the 1980s, uh, it's mainly that affordability piece where mm-hmm. the market, we were in a recession, uh, people weren't earning as much, and interest rates back in the 1980s, early 1980s, they shot up to as high as 18%. Um, so I do have it written down here. Back in 1980, your median price home was about $47,200. So if you were putting 20% down at the time, which was pretty standard back then, uh, you have a mortgage for about 38000 and at a rate of 18%, I use an average of 14 here, because uh, over the course of the entire 1980s, it went from 18% to about 10 by 1990. So your payment would be about 450 bucks a month. At today's rate and prices, that would be about a 6% interest rate, with your average home price being 450000 Now that's nationally. So may not be localized to where we are here in Oakland County, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the national average at 450K. At a rate of 6% and doing that same 20% down, your payment is looking to be about 2150 bucks a month. 
that's not including your property taxes, uh, your homeowner's insurance on the home, oh upkeep of the home, utilities, every other thing that goes into home ownership. Uh, that's just purely your principal and interest payments on the home. So right now, so with 20, 20, prices being high. What's that, what's that times? Uh, holy shit, yeah. yeah, it's about yeah. five times as much as then. For an average person like to go about life, that's a shit ton of money. That's a, that's a lot. What yeah. ab what about four like what what about that four fifty in nineteen eighty you know is that was that the number? No, you said a something month? like fifty thousand. Was it? it was about a fifty thousand dollar home. We'll call it, and your monthly payment, just including your principal and interest, probably would have been about four hundred fifty to five hundred bucks. And that um, and that's doing twenty percent down. So your down payment is much less in terms of nineteen eighty dollars, uh, as opposed to today's dollars. People today shit their pants hearing about mortgage rates on the 30-year being 6%. Yes. So <laughs> We've been spoiled yeah. the last two years with mortgage rates. Yeah, but there, there is like a dichotomy because the 20%, you know, it, yeah, it would be horrible on a home priced at today's valuation, but it's not nearly as burdensome on a home back in, you know, 1970, 1980, where mm -hmm. the home is like one, damn near one-tenth of the value, maybe one-fifth. Yeah. So home, home prices have increased by about tenfold uh, since 1980, roughly, if you're looking geez. at just a straight numbers average. So, uh, I, well, I'm glad we brought this up. And thanks, I wanted, for, thanks for sharing that, man. Of course. Yeah. Pe people need the perspective because, I mean, I don't know. We have been spoiled, like you said. I mean, I think the real winners of the 2020s are those who refinanced their house or bought a house and got a 30-year at 2.75% or something like that. Yep. In a currency that has lost 9.1% just in the last year. But I did want to ask you, and I'm sure you get this question in your business a lot, mm -hmm. is the housing market going to crash? Do you think this could be anything like 2008? And I know you said it's more resemblant to 1980, but do you think we could ever have any kind of crash, or do you think it would... Do you think inflation and material prices increasing will just keep housing trickling up? Do you think there will be uh, supply-demand equilibrium met where you know, more people are producing, so you know, there's more supply, therefore the demand gets leveled out? What, what do you kind of see for, I don't know, maybe the next 5, 10, 20 years? So I'll start market? off with answer, answering your first question here, is will there be a crash? No, there will not be a crash. That, that is my personal opinion and I'm in that the opinion well. of many experts that are in the real estate field today. However, there will be a correction that we will see. And it's going to be dependent on area, primarily. Because um, as I mentioned before, affordability right now has been crushed. Uh, looking back, not, not comparing things back to 1980, looking back and comparing to just January 1st of this year. So going now seven full months backwards. You could have got a home at a 3% interest rate and using that same national average, that average would have been about a $370,000 home that you would have purchased. Your monthly payment would have been about $1,250. So if you go back and think $2,150, $1,250, that's about a 60% increase to payment. Wait, a, a, a $375,000 home for $1,250 a month? That's your principal and interest. So don't have 
taxes, insurance, right. and any of the other things. So your upkeep, your utilities. That would just be your principal and interest if you bought a $370,000 home and you did 20% down at a 3% interest rate, which okay. very, very many people did so at the what, beginning of this year. What would that cost at today's interest rates near 6%? Um, Might so be a little shy of six now. For, for that same $370,000 home? If you give me a minute, I can do the math on my calculator here. Yeah, let's, let's run out. some numbers because I am, I am incredibly curious. Let's find this out. This is awesome, man. Uh, but in certain areas, going back up here, in certain areas, you will see what some may define as a crash in prices. Yeah, like um, people flooding out of New York City or something. Exactly. Your area is so... We'll take just California, for example. I've seen numerous posts on Reddit, subreddits of real estate, people that are dooming and glooming and thinking, oh, yeah, everything's going to crash. They're praying for a market crash uh, where, yeah, people that bought a house in 2021, you buy a million dollar home and you're trying to sell it now for a million and a half. Yeah, that, that's not going to happen. It's unrealistic to think that home prices can appreciate at a 10 to 20 percent a year clip year after year and keep going. It's just not possible. It, it just shows something's out of whack if you see crazy stuff like that. Exactly. Not everything that goes hyperbolic eventually has to level out some. Mm -hmm. So we're going to see a correction. But That's what, that gravity shit, dog. <laughs> exactly, man. <laughs> um, with that correction, though, we're, what people need to understand is home price deceleration is not depreciation. Home prices year over year are still gonna go up in the majority of areas across the United States. It will be cheaper to buy a house today than it will probably be to buy a house a year from now, two years from now, three years, five years. One of those reasons is show me a builder that can build a $110,000 house and make it worth their time. That's very true. And the, it, nobody, nobody's building those. They can't build super cheap housing. The only cheap housing they can build is multifamily, which by the, I don't know the exact statistics, that's one of the few areas that builders are actually building more homes of. Multi-unit starts have been increasing pretty much month over month still over the last six to eight months here. What do you mean um, by multi-unit, like multiple families? Multi-family homes, so two plus units in a home. Could be anywhere, that multi-family unit starts metric that uh, we watch is anywhere from a two unit home to if somebody's building a 60 unit apartment building okay. that still counts as one multi-unit multi-family start hmm. of course i'm oh that's why that is don't so you love wild. when your phone connects to a wi-fi network <laughs> but it doesn't actually give you the wi-fi which yeah. wi-fi are you on I don't know, probably some Xfinity or AT&T Wi-Fi because you connect to it once and then it's like when you go to McDonald's. I can give you the Wi-Fi. How you connect to everything. I can't say it. Yeah, I can't say it. <laughs> yeah. We're giving, it, we're giving <laughs> out passwords here today. Everybody, if you want free internet, contact these guys. <laughs> Jay's like, Dude, we cannot afford to get hacked, bro. <laughs> That's the one that it tried to connect me to automatically. Yeah, ball me, Blazer. Yeah, you just want to pop that in. Uh, that way I can pull up what that 300k home would be at uh, for a 6% interest rate, but it'd be much, much higher. Uh, so do you think the rates will continue to go up? Yes. Uh, at How least for a little, go, bit, a little bit of time. Um, so right now, the mortgage-backed security market, which it doesn't exactly uh, dictate what is 
100% going to happen with mortgage rates. However, mortgage rates do very closely follow the mortgage-backed security market. Mm -hmm. That market has priced in that we're seeing a 75% uh, 75 point, not percent, point, uh, basis point hike tomorrow. Which is 0.75%, yep. everybody. 0.75%, so that'll put it, I think they're almost approaching three now. I think mm. they were just under two at, at the last meeting, right around what 2%. the Fed funds? Yeah, rate? for the Fed funds rate. Um, so that's where that is. After that meeting, the market is pricing in maybe a couple more rate hikes before the end of this year, because everybody knows that we're already in it, and the numbers are gonna show it this week, I believe, with GDP growth. Uh, negative GDP growth, rather, we're going to go into a recession. And Ooh, that, don't say the go, R word on the when podcast. We go into, <laughs> I think we're already in I'm a recession. Playing. Anybody? Oh, we are. You feel it. Everybody can feel it. You go to just even the gas station, your gas is more expensive. Your eggs are more expensive. Your bread, your milk, everything that you're buying right now is more expensive. We talked about how builders can't build cheap homes anymore. Lumber prices. Producer, lumber lumber producers, prices came down, though. They've came down, but they're still 100%. elevated. Yeah, they, They've came down from their peaks. Uh, they're definitely, they're still higher than pre-pandemic. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, everything is costing everything more. Everything costs more. We're yeah, already we, in a recession because we're not selling more goods and services at all. People aren't. Everybody's cutting back. I know several clients that I've talked to, normally they take vacations every single year with their family. This year, they're not. They're maybe staying somewhere local. They're going somewhere here in Michigan where they can drive versus taking that trip to Florida, uh, going down and spending a week in Texas. Um, so Yeah, I really think we are going to get the numbers on Thursday, negative point. GDP growth. and Has, have, are, have we had positive GDP growth until this point? No, quarter one was negative 1.6. Yeah. I think they originally called it at negative 1.1 or something, and then they revised it to negative 1.6. That's typical. Every single me major metric and reading that comes out that the federal government and all these economic uh, data points that they use, they are revised every single month. Uh, as things get more accurate, reports are reviewed, audited. So that's very typical mm -hmm. for them to revise numbers either up or down. Uh, well, I mean, you got to know. I mean, you're giving the people their mortgage. You know what I mean? Yeah. 100%. So you get to know, huh? I get a, I get a little bit of the know-how. Uh, my, my specialty, I, I listen to our bond traders, who they are the ones that actually deep delve into all the economic points and what they mean. I more so interpret them into mm. how is it going to affect the everyday person. Yeah, that's what I want to get into because, like, knowing this, you know, like, what would you do? You know, I would save up. I would save money right now uh, in terms of if you're somebody that is looking to buy a home, mm -hmm. the best time to buy a home is when you can. Mm -hmm. The benefits of home ownership will always outweigh, outweigh those of renting unless you are only staying in an area for a short period of time. So one thing that I always tell my clients that I work with is if you can answer yes to three specific questions, you are ready to buy a house. Do you like the area that you're gonna live in? And do you see yourself living there for a while? Usually greater than five years. Mm -hmm. Can you afford the monthly payment? <laughs> that, that's the biggest one is, can you afford yeah, the monthly yeah. payment that it's going to be? 
truthfully, because... I thought there was going to be this big buildup on the number three, and you were like, can you afford the monthly payment? <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest piece is, as I've said, affordability, and can you truly afford that monthly payment? Mm -hmm. yeah, there, there's um, no I've had many clients where they've, they've given me ranges of, okay, I want to get a home, and I can afford to pay $1,500 a month. Well, here's what you can afford at $1,500 a month. Here's your options. If you're looking at a single family home, you can get A. If you're looking at a condo, you can do B. It's all about that affordability piece though. Mm -hmm. That is our biggest, biggest thing that I always make sure that every client I work with. They, um, they're not like stretching themselves out? Nope, you don't wanna stretch yourself thin because while there's a number that you can qualify for on paper, that may not necessarily be the number that you're comfortable paying every single month mm -hmm. because that number includes, so a typical mortgage, uh, unless you're doing 20% down, will include your principal and interest payment on the loan, mm -hmm. your private mortgage insurance payment, your homeowner's insurance, as well as property taxes or if there's any HOA fees that are assessed for the property. So let's say you buy in a really nice community or you buy on a lakefront. Typically there's an HOA that you gotta pay for every single month. Mm -hmm. uh, all of that is all encompassed in your mortgage payment. What that doesn't include is your bills that you gotta pay, your utilities, any other debts that may not appear on a credit report. So the if you have kids, yeah. your childcare, um, you know, how much gas you pay. The random shit that's gonna break. Yep, you know, if you got an OnlyFans subscription, that doesn't show up on your mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> no, 100%, bro. So right, let, let's get this number. Yeah, my app I that I usually use for some, out for, like <laughs> for some reason, minutes. I usually oh, have yeah. a, uh, an app that all my clients use uh, to get a completely digital mortgage. Typically, you're able to look up payment, affordability, get terms for different types of loans on there. So conventional, FHA, VA, US, uh, USDA loans. And it allows my clients as well to then do their whole mortgage. So upload their documents, sign everything. For some reason though, it is just not wanting to work. So I'm just gonna Google a quick amortization schedule calendar here. Well, if it's too difficult, it's not a problem. I was really just curious, because I mean, rates doubling in eight months, seven, eight months, that that's honestly historic. You know, when we saw Paul Volcker try to combat the inflation from the 70s, he brought interest rates up, like he was saying, up near 18%. Mm -hmm. And that was because you know we had raging inflation. And what's funny is they're combat combating this 9.1% inflation with a measly little 0.7% rate hike. Like it, yeah. you it's, think it's because that. we would go bankrupt if they raised rates to that point. I mean, not only homeowners, you know, they wouldn't be able to afford homes. We wouldn't be able to afford the interest on our national debt. If the government raises rates too much, uh, not only the U.S. government, but pretty much every global government in, in the entire world would begin defaulting on their debt. We, nobody could afford it uh, until Congress passes another kick the can down the road bill and says, hey, now we can afford to pay more on our debt. We raised our own credit limit <laughs> that kick, we have. Kick the can round three. When do you think they do that? Well, this is, you think, you gotta uh, think whenever that. They next two, four years. <laughs> whenever so. they need to, they'll just keep kicking it down the road. Say, yeah, we can afford more and more and more and more debt. 
I don't think a it's a road anymore, though. You know, like it's a highway. When when they downhill. no no no, <laughs> when they used to they used to have the print money. You know, there used to not be an internet. You know, now there's an internet. It really makes me think about how like man, what's this money? Is it even money? You know, like what if J P Morgan's just like typing in how much money's in their bank, bro? Sending they, it. They literally hit keystrokes, and then the Federal Reserve <laughs> fucking prints out two trillion dollars. So That's economic output, dude. What? How, Who's government? Fuck you guys. Who? I get I get charged with counterfeiting if I do that shit. You motherfuckers get voted in again. <laughs> fuck you people. Max See, I, like, I, like, rant, huh? I like how I like how you're dealing yourself here, James. Yeah. Here's a few trilly. Here's a, <laughs> some for yourself. Hey, hey here's Seriously, a few trilly. I Jesus. am displeased with the fact that they do that. I'm struggling. Everyone I know is struggling with this inflation. Hats off, man. What the fuck is going on? You got to flip the hat backwards now. This shit's getting real. <laughs> Whew. All right. All right. Have Seven, you... 1799 So 1800 bucks a month for that same $300,000. Oh, at today's that's interest disgusting. rate of 6%. Wait. All right. Say that one more time. What, what, what was the rate that you were trying to find? Bring me back to speed. So, so beginning of the... $300,000 house, or $370,000 house, about a $300,000 mortgage. At a 3% interest rate, puts you at $1,250 a month. That same exact loan, $300K, at today's interest rate, is $1,800 a month. So the moral of the story is, if you raise. were searching to buy a house, it would have been better to have bought it seven months ago rather than today. Yes. And that's unfortunate. That's very unfortunate because... You know, I, I don't even own a home yet. I don't want to see all this shit going on. I I prefer affordable homes rather than unaffordable homes. You know, obviously I'm not a homeowner. I could care less if the home prices are increasing other people's net worth, but mm -hmm. but that's honestly atrocious. And we're, we're not here to like, like, yeah, I'll shit on the people at the Federal Reserve, but what they have done with their rate hikes is responsible. I mean, they, they need to yes. do that to combat inflation, but now, I mean, you know, if you want to get a $370,000 house, you know, back in January, you could afford 1250 bucks a month. Now you're 1250 bucks a month. I mean, that might only get you a $250,000 house. Yeah. So, your home prices, your affordability metric is going to go down for sure. It's probably down by about 40 to 50% compared to geez. where things were at the uh, peak of, I would say, the best time to buy a home, which would have been mid 2021 so summer of 2021 or early 2020 really uh would have been the best time to buy a home is early 2020 because then you could have got a three and a half percent rate you would be really happy and then in 2021 after you've owned the property for a year you can refinance it and get a 2.75 rate so your monthly payment goes even lower and your house is worth more so you're real happy it was the best time to buy gas too yeah, we had stock a place, up on that. We had a place not too far from here, 99 cents a gallon. You can't, yeah. you can't, 2020. you can't stock up on gas. It goes bad. It does. <laughs> I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. I, yeah. I've heard that. My dad told me that. Maybe I, maybe yeah. I shouldn't have uh, put that gas in my lawnmower. <laughs> when the seasons changed this year, no wonder it was sputtering a little bit to start out. <laughs> Wait, you put, you left gas in there or you left gas from the last year? Into I had a little bit of gas in a container left over just to splash. So mm -hmm. I popped it in my, uh, my lawnmower put, I forget what it was. It was some kind of catalyst that revitalizes the gas. 
that's in a lawnmower. It's made to do that. It's, that's what it's supposed to do. It's something your dad's just like, yeah, son, you go to the hardware store, you buy this, and you put it in your lawnmower. Yeah. Everything will be all right. <laughs> so then you pulled the ripcord, and then it worked? It worked. It worked fine. It just let out a few real bad sputters. It was sputtering pretty good for that first mow. And then I for that first mow. went to the gas station and got some fresh gas. After that, I was all good. Everything was fine. That is one of the hidden OP benefits, though, of uh, buying a house and owning a home. You never know how satisfying it is to cut your own lawn and crack open a beer. <laughs> I you feel so good afterwards. <laughs> you just get to look at your work. You appreciate everything. Like, you man, stripe it? Of course. You got to have the lines. Yeah. You got a riding mower? No, push mower all day. Push mower? I've got a I'm push a mower. What about what about that zero turn? I don't need to sit down. I sit down when I take a shit. I don't sit down to mow my lawn. Yeah, pecker. Well, everybody takes sits down to take a shit. Hey, I, I have a nice cold, a, a nice ice cold beer after I mow my landlord's lawn. Hey, there you go. And you pay his mortgage too. Yeah, he probably has it paid off. But, yeah. So how does that work? But, so if you own a house and then do you, do you not tell anybody you're renting the house or like that's mortgage fraud there okay. it depends on how, how you are, get your loan though so there are different kinds of loans that you can purchase in different classifications of homes if you're buying a house for yourself that's considered a primary residence that's where you live for over 51 percent of the year um, many people 51 <laughs> percent. that's the rule that is the rule so i know people they call that it a homestead they live at two different residences, but you're only able to claim one as your primary residence. So that's the one that they spend a little bit more time at. So that way they're not breaking any legal laws or tax laws, anything like that. Sure. Uh, there's also second homes. So you, you wanna buy a vacation home up in the mitten or up in the thumb. You wanna buy a house in Florida over in the Hamptons, let's say. You can buy that as a second home where your interest rates are gonna be a little bit higher, your costs are gonna be a little bit more compared taxes to- Taxes will be more. Taxes will be a little bit more because you can't get that property tax exemption for it being a homestead or primary residence. Uh, so it's gonna be a little bit more expensive to buy that second home as compared to your primary. Then you have investment loans. Investment properties, they require the biggest down payment minimums of any type of loan. Interest rates are gonna be a little bit more. Typically your fees that you pay to obtain that loan are also a little bit more. Uh, but then that is how you rent out your home uh, if you are purchasing it. There is a way that you can purchase a home and rent it out after you are done living there. You just have to live there for one year. Because typically whenever you purchase a home, you sign a document at your closing that is a mortgage document that says, I claim that I will live in this property for 365 days. After that point, you can rent it out. Find another house and go live in the next one. Hmm. Wait, so like, run that back La the, if you can. The last minute. Because. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, we'll go, we'll go back. I'll use myself. I'll use myself <laughs> he as was an looking, example. He was here. trying to understand. Yeah. So, yeah. Th this is a real life example um, <laughs> because it's me. This is something that I plan to do with the home that I purchased. So, I'm me pulling, and my fiance. I'm pulling it out of you. We, uh, we, we purchased the home last summer. Uh, in July of 2021 in Ferndale. And after we have lived in this home and we are ready to buy our next home, mm -hmm. our plan is to rent out the home at the same mortgage or using the same mortgage to pay that mortgage that we have today. Not refinancing at all, 
into a, a, an investment loan because legally we don't have to. We've met our requirement of living in that home mm -hmm. for a certain period of time. Now, if we did want to, and this is dropping some major mortgage knowledge, so if you are watching, make sure you got your pens out uh, and you are writing this down. 100%. Um, so if you have an FHA loan, which is a loan that's backed by the Federal Housing Administration, uh, you can only have one FHA loan at a time unless you meet specific criteria laid out by the FHA to allow you to purchase a second home using an FHA and keep your initial FHA loan. Typically, you're only allowed to have that one out. Mm -hmm. um, so in my case, when I look to purchase my next home that I buy, I will obtain a conventional mortgage in order to do so. Um, but at that home that I purchased, I'm able to keep all the benefits, the tax benefits of owning that home that I have, and I'm going to be able to eventually rent that home out for much more than what my mortgage payment will be on that home. So I'll be able to pay that mortgage with a tenant and eventually then Eventually, have a little home. bit of money left over for myself, possibly. Hopefully, yeah, you know, so like, that's that's but, in a perfect world. You know, thinking of myself as the only one that needs the benefit as well from that. But long term, you own a home. Exactly, yeah. I own it. I own that asset. My net worth has increased pretty good <laughs> since owning that home. Mm -hmm. Since year over year, uh, I actually have this statistic. They just announced the Case Shiller. Uh, home price index, which is I a, looked at that number for May. What's, yep, the, what's for, the new one though? For May, they revised it down to I believe it was twenty point one. I thought I wrote it down here. Um, Isn't that like the like ten like major cities? Yeah, that's like the only Philly, thing. Detroit, L.A., New York. I don't think or Detroit's something? in it. No. I'm pretty sure Detroit isn't in that case. Schiller. Uh, the problem with that index, so don't think that oh, just because that says twenty percent year over year gains, my house is instantly worth twenty percent more. That is only like six of the biggest cities in the entire country. Right. right. Like New York, LA. I think one of, there's one or two cities in Texas, a couple out in California. Um, and that's where they get that number from. But a 20% year over year gain, if that applies, like, let's just assume it did, you know, I don't know anybody that already is owning a home that wouldn't be happy with that. Yeah, right that's now. 20K per 100,000. Exactly. Now, it's uh, make-believe money because you can't necessarily go to the bank and take your money out. You can with a cash-out refinance. Uh, that's a whole other topic that I'm not... Well, yeah, not a whole other bit. We can go into all that. Then you got to refi at this new larger rate, so it Which, might be disadvantageous. For, some, for most people right now, it is. However, for others in which I'm currently helping a client right now with this, um, it's actually beneficial for him. I'm taking him from a... 2.75% interest rate. That was his rate that he refinanced into in 2020, mm -hmm. or 2021 actually. I'm taking him from a 2.75 to a 6.25 interest rate. However, his overall monthly debt obligation that he has to pay is dropping by about $500 per month. Even really? though his mortgage rate is doubling. He's taking the money out of his home because his home is appreciated by so much and using that money to pay off credit cards, paying off a boat, which all are at a higher interest rate than what he's gonna have on his home. Oh, so, you're, so that's how it could make sense. So your financial background helps you greatly with the whole mortgage.
thing, or you yes. have to have have a financial background to get to where you're at more, with mortgage lending. I would say yeah. Okay. It help, it helps to have somebody who's knowledgeable and who's who cares more about the client and doesn't make sense to the client versus yeah, I can write a loan and get a commission. Uh, knock knock those people downtown that uh, like to sometimes go to space. <laughs> uh, not gonna point any exact names, <laughs> but. It does help having that financial background, knowing what to do for a client in order to give them a full financial analysis of affordability. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. And do you like the area? Do you right. like do you like that area? Do you like do you still see yourself living in the house for a few years? Because if my client mm -hmm. were to tell me, yeah, I'm gonna sell the house next year, well, it may not necessarily be worth it. Let's take a look at how much more it's gonna cost you to take out this additional money, sell what your fees are gonna be, yeah. um, and see what that break even point's gonna be. How many years do you need to stay in this home in order for it to make sense? Yeah, I mean, those are the questions you need to hear when you're about to make one of the biggest purchases of your life. You need to know that shit, man. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yes, that, that, kind of touch it on that too. So taking a client as well, here's a, another good example. I know we talked about how adjustable rate mortgages, typically in the past, adjustable rate bad. This is a scenario that adjustable rate mortgages can actually make sense for a client. Uh, and this is somebody that I helped out in 2019 when I first started my career, mm -hmm. uh, who was in this situation and it benefited them greatly. They were able to sell the home uh, and move on from the home that they purchased right in the peak of the pandemic. So they made a pretty penny when they were selling the home. But they originally when they purchased it got an adjustable rate mortgage because they were a doctor. And there are special products for those that are in that medical field and medical profession to obtain very specific loan products that are conventional loans, but have different requirements to them. Based because on you're a doctor. And you might move to. Yep. So this, this particular like, client, they knew they were only going to be in Detroit for at most five years mm -hmm. while they were going through their residency and their uh, first year post residency. After that, they were for sure moving out of Michigan and they were going to sell the home. They didn't want to rent because they didn't necessarily see the benefit in renting and throwing all their money towards somebody else's mortgage, right. somebody else's tax benefits for owning that home, and they have nothing to show for it after the end of their four years of residency in medical school, essentially. Uh, so they ended up purchasing and did pretty good for themselves. Every time you pay a mortgage, you are rent, you're paying a mortgage, it's just not your own. And every time you're paying your mortgage, you're paying yourself back a little bit of money. You're putting it into a separate savings account somewhere else that you're not really going to touch until you're looking to sell your house or it's think that, off. you know, you, hey, I want to take some money out of this to do something. Uh, most, as I said, most common is pay off other debts that are higher interest rates. Mm -hmm. Uh, people as well take money out to pay for their kids' schooling, to do renovation projects. Uh, one thing that people sometimes have done as well is take their home's value and use tap into that home's value to make other investments. Now that necessarily, yeah, I know we've talked a little bit about you know investments, the big short, 2008 crisis. That's what a lot of people were doing at that time as well. We're using their homes like piggy banks. So oh, shit. <laughs> taking the money out, putting the money in the stock market, now they lost all their money in the stock market and they lost all their money in the home. Home's value's down. They're on an adjustable rate mortgage. Payment just shot up and the whole world all fell in. 
No, All man. at one time. Don't over leverage yourself. Yes. And that won't happen. Yeah, don't over leverage yourself. There we go. That's, yeah. that's some great advice. So, <laughs> so you, you go over like the whole thing, you know, with your clients. I feel like. Yeah. So I actually, I wrote this down of one thing that I wanted to talk about because me and Max kind of talked briefly about some of the points that he wanted to bring up. I wrote down one yeah. that I wanted to talk about today, which is the overall home buying process and what that's like. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like you just gave a great segue into that of how do I walk my clients through purchasing a home? Yeah, brother. Um, step one is to game plan and assemble your team. So majority of the time that I work with people, I get referrals from my realtor network that I've established. So people like Max who have individuals that come to him and say, Max, you're the guy that I talk to that wants to buy a house or I buy a house from you. Mm -hmm. How do I buy a house? Max then sends those people to me mm -hmm. to talk to me and have that game plan conversation. So we're gonna have an initial consult. Find out where you wanna live. What do you do for a living? How much do you have saved up? This, let's find out the first step of where are you right now today? Mm -hmm. Here's the finish line of where you gotta get to. This is home ownership all the way over here. But where are you on that racetrack? Mm -hmm. How far along are you? Well, how much do you have saved up? Where's your down payment? Can you, afford, can you afford that monthly payment? Right. So we game plan and figure out all of those different factors of what goes into getting the mortgage. Uh, how are you getting that down payment? Are you pulling money out of your, your 401k to have that money for down payment? Are you getting a gift from family, friends? Uh, well, friends typically, typically aren't allowed. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can make a case in certain, uh, certain scenarios, but typically your friends just can't say, hey, bud, here's some money, go buy a house. Um, normally yeah. that's not allowed in the mortgage world. Uh, but if you're getting a gift from like a family member, an aunt, an uncle, your grandparents, somebody who wants to leave you some money. Where is, where's your down payment funds coming from? Mm -hmm. After that, we're gonna go through what's the, called the pre-approval process. Uh, there's two ways to do, go about it. Some people go through pre-qualification, some go through pre-approval. Pre-approval is always the stronger of the two, mm -hmm. and it's more the norm. So if you go to, to try and buy a house and book a showing, a lot of sellers and homeowners don't necessarily want you going through their home and to look at their house and see their inside personal life unless you're a fully pre-approved buyer. Right. Which that means that you can actually afford the home that you're going to see. Mm -hmm. A lender like myself has reviewed all of your financial documents, your employment, down payment. I've actually seen those documents in person. Um, in front of me, you provided all of that to me. So that's pre-approval. Pre-qualification, on the other hand, is hey, we're just having a conversation. How much money do you make per year? Uh -huh. All right, you know, how about how much you got saved up? Well, based on, you know, if you make 60,000 a year and you got 15,000 in the bank right now, I think you can afford about this. Mm -hmm. That's pre-qualification, which gives you a good ballpark, gives you a great idea. Right. Uh, Pre-approval is what you wanna do. Mm -hmm. That's gonna show that you're serious about buying a home, you're ready, and that tells you that you're right near the end of that finish line. Now, some clients, aren't always right there right away. There may be certain factors that they don't have. So credit, income, assets, those are the big three. Are, there, are those like, obviously those are their roadblocks or whatever, but 
is it's usually never like their attitude is like I don't want a home. Usually their attitude is like I want a home. Most of the time, if you're talking to me, it's it, you, I, you want a home. Right, right. You, you, you don't really <laughs> they have don't to go to Ron because they don't want to get a house. That are, like you're not like, yeah, selling Ron, them. Here, yeah. here's, my, here's my W-2s. Here's my pay stubs, my bank statements. I don't even want to buy this house, man. You know? I just like, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm told I'm supposed to buy it. Here you go. I don't want this. Most of the time, people are really excited. Right. Um, at least on the inside. You see the excitement for myself a lot at the closing table because that's when everybody's like, we made it. We're done. We're signing the papers. It's real. Because buying a house is stressful. There is so many emotions that go into the home purchase, um, everything that goes on. You know, you get oh, a call yeah. from me, your lender, at 8 o'clock at night saying, hey, I need, a, I need an extra document for you. Underwriting asks for a little bit more on your pay stuff. They want to see a second one just to make sure. You as the buyer, you're freaking out like, oh, my God. They, they asked for a pay stub. What does that mean? Do, do they need this? Here's a screenshot. Does this work? <laughs> you know? It's stressful for all parties. Yes. I feel like, except the title agents always seem to just have their shit together. They seem the least stressed you've of them all. Would you good, agree? You've worked with some very good title agents. Legacy then. title? I mean, they, they know their shit. They're okay. Legacy's all right. They're all right. They're just all right? <laughs> They're not really around anymore as much. Um, in the market today, at least I don't see them as active. Um, but they were okay. Yeah, the good title people you are there. They're out there. Um, I know a lot of the people who were at Legacy back when uh, we last worked together. They were pretty solid. Um, they always came in clutch for me. I was always the one are, that was stressed out. I like to say your, your title people in the mortgage industry, they're your yes men. Hey, I need this done. Well, as long as it's not breaking any laws and it's truly legal, they're not, you know, writing a, a title policy on a home that's really owned by somebody else, then you got somebody who's real shady and you shouldn't be working with them. Uh, title people are yes men. Say, hey, I need, I need this document. Okay, let's get it done. Let's mm. find a way. Um, whereas mortgage underwriters, they're the, the big bad wolf of <laughs> buying a home. Yeah. What is that? Is that what you do? Morgan? No, I, I'm a I'm a loan officer. Okay. So okay. I, I'm the person who I help guide everybody through getting a mortgage, and what that entails. So I collect all the documents, make sure that everything is good, and after I've gone through all the docs, I then submit them to underwriting for approval. Mm -hmm. So back to my list here. Yeah. Part of part of, after pre-approval stage, you begin the house hunting stage, which that's co-op of stage three, four and starting into stage five of the home buying process. Uh, so three is your house hunt. So just looking with your realtor and finding homes that are available on the market or not available through your realtor's sphere of influence. Uh, many of the realtors that I work with, they find homes for clients. Say, okay, I know you will need a three bedroom, two bath, you're looking for a specific school district and you need a fully finished basement. Right. Plus an in-law suite, let's say. <laughs> Where can I find that? Well, if nothing's on the market, they're going to go to their network and find something. So that's how uh, house hunting is step number three. So finding the home that you want to purchase. Mm -hmm. Moving into step four, that's when you work with your realtor, your loan officer, and yourself to make your offer and formulate your offer. So how much are you going to buy the house for? If a home is listed at 250000 what was typical, let's say, in the last year, I would say, 
we've been in a very, very extreme seller's market. Uh -huh. So sellers, they, the ball is in their court, whatever they want. They're getting. It's pretty much, they've gotten. So a lot of homeowners have waived inspections, waived certain contingencies uh, in their contract that would allow them to back out of the contract. Um, a lot of those have been waived over the last year. So many of those homeowners, that's how their offer has been structured. They've offered over asking. Uh, seller concessions have kind of went by the way by and that, that's where a seller pays for part of a buyer's mortgage costs in order to help them uh, purchase the home. That's really gone by the wayside except for in specific situations. Mm -hmm. So your realtor, your loan officer and yourself, you're gonna formulate your offer, then your realtor is gonna put on the gloves and start negotiating with those sellers of how can we get this offer accepted so that way you can buy your dream home. After that offer is accepted, you're gonna move into uh, stage five, which is your mortgage approval and your inspections. So you're gonna have, if you don't have those inspection contingencies waived, you and your real estate agent are going to do inspections on the home, make sure it's a good, secure house. That way you know what you're getting into as a homeowner. Mm -hmm. um, you're gonna see what kind of work does this home need from a structural standpoint, um, mechanical standpoint, you know, you get an inspection of the roof. If you have a septic field, and your home's on a septic, you're gonna get that looked at. Just sure. the, all the thi all the homeowner stuff that exactly. common folk don't know. Yep, you're gonna pay a professional, they're gonna go in and take care of it for you. Give you a nice report, usually it's about 15 to 30 pages. Mm -hmm. That's gonna tell you every single line item of, hey, I worked this, this room, here's what I saw in this room that needs to be fixed or could present issues for you as a homeowner. Um, after that inspection is done, that's when you begin the full mortgage approval process. So you're gonna actually have everything submitted to underwriting. Um, if it already hasn't been in the pre-approval standpoint, that they'll take a look at it. The lender is then gonna order an appraisal of the property, which that appraisal is for the lender and yourself to make sure that the home has the value mm -hmm. that you are actually purchasing that home for. Um, after that point, you'll get approved for your loan. And after you're approved for your loan, as long as all the uh, conditions of the underwriter have been met, you will be able to close and be a happy homeowner thereafter. Holy shit, dude. And then you kind of like pass the baton to the title people to, you know, finalize all the documents. And, and then the title people. Yes. Yeah. Our lovely title people. You don't really hear about them until, you know, you get an accepted offer. It's like you guys are talking about the title people like they're these like people in this village like off the way and you're like they're the you, little Oompa Loompas. you must go talk to the title people they're just the smart people that you end up on the phone with that come in clutch all the time yep or i guess sometimes they don't i mean i guess oh. anybody can be a title agent i mean hopefully. i had a uh, a nightmare title situation because i'm also licensed in uh texas as well as michigan so i write loans uh, for homeowners that are living here in michigan and down in texas mm -hmm. um, nice one of my clients was purchasing in Texas, and as a part of Texas law for lending requirements, it is typical for the seller of the home to give a copy of the most recent survey to the title company and to the buyer, uh, as it is a buyer's requirement to have a survey done on the home or have a survey that shows, yep, these are your property lines, they're correct, here's your boundaries for your home that you're purchasing. Right. Uh, that never happened for my last Texas loan. The sellers did not have a copy of the survey because it was done last in 1984. And 
title company never told anybody until a week before closing that, hey, yeah, we don't have a survey. What do you mean we're supposed to order a survey? Jeez, did it all get ruined? Oh, no, we found a way. We found a way. We was able to pull a, pull a miracle, me and the realtor that I worked with, uh, we were able to find through her connections a survey company that would be able to get out there in, in about 24 hours. Oh, um, nice. We took care of some of the, the costs for the client just to help them out and had our survey back in about three days. It was on a Friday afternoon. So we had it next week on Wednesday morning and we're able to close the week after that. Boom. Nice. It was, it was nice. It was a very, very stressful situation. The sellers of that home, they were buying a new one and their builder wanted to back out of their contract. Uh, my buyer, they, their uh, lease contract was up at the end of the month and their landlord was going to jack their rent up by 60% or kick them out <laughs> if they had to stay. Uh, so it, it, was, it was a tough situation, but we were able to get it done. And these people are just like, you know, telling you all their problems, like the problems they don't tell anybody, you know? Oh, yeah. The, the amount of calls, so in the life of a loan officer, it is not a nine to five job by any means. Mm -hmm. um, I typically, I will start my days at about in between six to seven in the morning um, is when I'll make my phone available for any kind of phone calls, check my email, make sure that there's no fires that I got to put out in the morning. Uh, and I've worked as late as 2 a.m. before. Mm -hmm. uh, most nights I get phone calls from clients because I mean, think about it. If you're working a normal everyday job, you work your nine to five, you don't have time during the day to handle your mortgage stuff to get your mortgage documents together to call your loan officer with your questions. You're going to call them on your way home from work or so after dinner at eight o'clock at night. That's more often than not when it's later. Um, I would say more often than not later in the afternoon or people, people's lunch breaks is when typically I'll have client conversations. Um, but I've had my, my referral partners, realtors that I work with say, Hey, call me at nine 30 at night, Ron, I need a pre-approval. Client wants to write an offer. I need to get a pre-approval letter for them. Need it now, need it today. All right, let's get it done. It's 9.30 at night, I'm sitting on the couch, but let's go into the office and let's fire it up. Give me the client's name, number, I'll take their application, let's get their docs and I'll get you that pre-approval. Yeah, awesome. I know Max and I've had conversations many times late at night over, over real estate and over some clients. Yeah, I mean, you know, same with the buyers and around the realtor side, you know, they, they might decide, oh, I guess I know it's 10 o'clock, but I guess we'll actually write an offer. And I know they wanted it by tonight, so I guess that means you got to do it right now. Yep. Right now at 10 p.m. We'll write that offer. <laughs> call, like that. call me to make sure I can call the <laughs> listing agent, talk to them, because uh, building that rapport is one of the biggest things that helps my clients mm -hmm. to win and have their offers accepted. Uh, majority of loan officers, if you give them a call, they're not gonna pick up the phone. Oh, really? Especially if it's an obscure time at all. Um, and hearing from a loan officer during the transaction, if you're a seller or the seller's agent, so the uh, listing agent of the property, usually you don't hear from them. Especially if you're working with like a really big bank, uh, an online lender, you're gonna talk to John one day, Jim the next, Sarah the day after that. Uh, you might get Tim on the fourth day. Rocket uh, Mortgage. Uh, is, Rocket that, uh, is that uh, how they're operating? Rocket Mortgage, they have their systems down a little bit more than that, where you, if you call into them, they're gonna, it's kind of like your automated phone line, you know? Are, are they the same as Quicken? Department. 
Rocket is Quicken. Yeah. All right, that's what I thought. Rock, Rocket is Quicken. The, the two bigger <laughs> players in the game today, in today's world, are uh, Rocket Mortgage and United Wholesale Mortgage. Those are the two big dogs that are out there, really. Uh -huh. um, then you have your banks. Your banks are your other, you know, the third head of that uh, Cerberus of big mortgage people um, are your, your banks. Because typically, most people think that, yeah, if I want to get a mortgage, I go to my bank and I talk to the people at my bank. Right. right. But you'll find a lot of times the, the service that you get as a client isn't necessarily the best. Oh, hell no, um, bro. Come on now. Everybody hates the big banks. Don't go to a big bank. I'd rather call you than call, like, uh, you know, somebody in a cubicle. Exactly. When you, when you call Just me, you're going to get a real person on the other line, somebody who is local to the area. So uh, most of my mortgages that I write are primarily in the Tri-County area. Mm -hmm. So Oakland, Macomb, and Wayne County. Those are my three biggest areas that I focus on. That's where I've lived my whole life. I grew up in Gross Point, uh, St. Clair Shores. That's where my dad lives. My mom and I grew up in Gross Point. Uh, I live now in Ferndale, right over in Oakland County. Yeah, so, so you, that's like a You're triangle. getting somebody who's right there. Yeah. They know the local area. I know all the local markets, um, the local statistics that you're going to want to look at. People know who I am in the industry. So when I'm calling an agent, they're saying, yeah, I know Ron. I've worked with Ron before. I know somebody who's worked with Ron before. Mm -hmm. um, that's awesome, man. It, so, helps, it helps my clients win. So what's your, what's your email, brother? Uh, yeah, my email. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, my email is ron, R-O-N, at firstnationalmb.com. Firstnationalmb.com. Yes, First National Mortgage Bankers. That is uh, the company that I work for. We so, are, uh, we're a direct lender. We are a uh, branch of Mortgage One. They're a local Michigan company. Okay. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So there, there was a couple more things that I wanted to discuss. So let's do it with the yeah. home buying process. You know, you mentioned the conventional FHA. I don't know if you mentioned VA. Uh, will you break down what the down payments usually look like? Because there is yeah. a myth that often needs to be dispelled where yes. you need like, oh, don't I need 20 percent down. Yeah, people, you do not need twenty percent down to buy a home. People think At they all. need a huge really? lump of cash to get a home, but like I've, I've gone through some sales where I've, I've had the seller pay my buyer's uh, down payment before, or you know an equivalent amount that went towards closing costs and whatnot. Yep. So dispel this myth for us, Ron. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna start with conventional loans, uh, as that is your most common mortgage type. Uh, conventional loans typically have a 620 FICO minimum credit score requirement. Now, if you're putting 620 or have a 620 FICO score, you're probably not going to qualify at the lowest down payment. Your down payment's going to have to be a little bit higher to offset that. So you got one metric of you know your mortgage approval that is on the lower side. You offset it with something that's a lot stronger. Mm -hmm. uh, balance out that scale of things. Uh, 620 FICO minimum. And on a conventional loan, if you are a first-time home buyer, or you can meet certain income limits, so you make 80% or your household makes 80% of the area median income, which is defined uh, by Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, then you can qualify and put as little as 3% down in order to purchase a home. Uh, if you don't qualify as a first-time home buyer and meet those income requirements, then, or you make too much money, rather, so you can't uh, stay below that 80% number, your minimum down payment requirement is 5% down on a conventional loan. And that can go all the way up to getting a loan for $647,000. Uh, 
Uh, essentially, 647-200 is the maximum conforming conventional loan limit. And then um, you get to jumbo? Yep, that's when you go to the, jumbo. What's the minimum or normal down payment on that? Uh, typically, jumbo loans have a 10 to 15% minimum. It depends on where you're doing your jumbo loan, what correspondent program, um, and what lender essentially is writing that jumbo loan. All Who right. the fuck is Freddie Mac and Manny May? Freddie Mac, Manny Fannie Mae, though. That's, that's Uncle <laughs> Sam, brother. Oh, okay. That's Uncle Sam. Good old uh, U.S. government. I was yeah, like, who the fuck is this right They this. are the ones. That, so a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loan, if you write the loan. So U.S. government says, if you write the loan to these standards and meet these credit standards, down payment standards, um, income, we will then back that loan. And that is then what is bundled into a mortgage-backed security and then the government buys those mortgage-backed securities. But it's actually, actually the Federal Reserve buys them yes, with the, the money Reserve. that they print out of thin air. Yes. There, there was a point where they owned one-third of all mortgage-backed securities in the United States. Yep. So they owned the debt of one-third of our people's mortgages. And they and don't believe uh, quantitative tightening. It's a myth. It's a lie. Yeah. I, the I don't know if they can only, afford The balance sheet has only increased... <laughs> But that what, is what's it at? Nine trillion? Um, eight I, trillion? I, I have no idea, but I know it's gone up by about eight billion uh, overall since the start of their quantitative tightening on June first. Uh, oh. Mainly, that's because a lot of their MBSs haven't rolled off since people aren't refinancing their loans uh, and paying them off early because uh, they have been buying less and less mortgage-backed securities. Mm -hmm. uh, but their overall balance sheet hasn't gone down. So is there, there's less people buying, uh, getting a mortgage right now? Yes. Mortgage yeah, let, demand. Let's talk about that. Mortgage demand is at a 22 year low right now. Uh, and there's really three reasons as uh, I believe as to why that's the case. One of them we've already talked about. And it's the big headed snake in the room. Mortgage rates are doubled. You know, affordability got crushed. It's 60% more <laughs> expensive to afford that monthly mortgage payment right now. Uh, Second piece of that, we've already also talked about. Builders haven't kept up for demand at all mm -hmm. for what our home buying and home building needs are as a generation. Millennials are the biggest demographic in our country, and most millennials are at their prime home buying ages. We are reaching that point now that, yeah, people wanna buy houses. Mm -hmm. uh, typically people when they're in their late 20s to early 30s, that's when they look at purchasing their first home. They think, yeah, you know, I met this girl or, or guy, you know, whichever way you go nowadays. Um, and I really want to settle down with them, start a family and buy a house, uh, have something that's more permanent. Um, that demographic in the millennials, they are reaching that home buying age. Um, supply is not there for them. The third piece it, nobody really is talking about is the fact that everybody has mortgages right now. Why would you sell your house unless you absolutely had to because you're changing jobs, you, you just had a kid and now you got to get them into a good school district? Um, unless you have to, why would you sell your house and pay 50% more for something that's a marginal upgrade right, right. now? Um, I didn't even really think about that. that. That's going to be able to what is going to uh, crush home buying demand. You, um, you could probably package the inflation into the first part, you know, with affordability. Yep, everything costs more. Inflation with 
things costing more, people haven't been able to save up as much money. Uh, I, I don't know the exact statistics, but I know uh, how the graph looked of the US savings rate for how much money people are saving during the start of the pandemic, it went like this. Went way high up, free money. We're getting Helicopter money. Yo, we got that stimmy, we get them stimmy checks. Um, <laughs> that shot way up, everybody's saving a bunch of money. And then now, nobody's saving anything. So people are having a harder time saving up the funds that are needed to purchase a home, even if you're doing 3% down. Uh, if you're on a conventional loan, then a $100,000 house, that's three grand. Well, if you can only save 50 bucks a month, it's gonna take you a while to get to that three grand number. 60 weeks. Jeez. It's 60 months. Or, yeah, that's... That's 60 yeah. months, that's gonna take you five years to save that up, if that's all you can afford because Jeez. inflation's higher. Whereas people before, you could save a little bit more. <laughs> if you now can you're spending only, more yeah. money elsewhere, and you don't have as much money to save. If you can only save 50 bucks a month, and you're stretching yourself, you should really thin, be looking. Yeah, you should really be looking at. Uh, yeah, dog. you know your overall. Well, that's the financial picture. I mean, I, I saw a statistic: one third of people making a quarter of a million dollars are living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So yeah. I think people just are not financially literate, which is why we're here at the New School Project yeah. talking yes. about this shit. Because if you're not financially literate, you could make ten million dollars a year, and you'll still end up spending $10 million a year. Oh the, yeah. The object mm -hmm. is to live below your means so that you can use that money to invest in your future. By far. And Case Schiller, what's, what's the number we got for that? I don't think you said that one. I think it was 20%. It was right around 20.1%. Oh, that is actually oh one so of that the, was the number. Yeah. For June? Was, for, for May. Oh, right. um, for May. June's will be coming out pretty soon once they have all the data. What um, is that? The Case Schiller. Home price index. It takes home a metric of big home prices of the biggest six cities in the country, essentially, and mm -hmm. says, "Well, this is how much values have uh, gone up in that time frame." And okay. you know what's funny about that? So they give us that number of like twenty percent, but if you look at the consumer price index, which is our standard measure of inflation that our government gives us, and one third of that weighting of that index, actually, I think it might even be thirty-five percent. So about a third of that index is weighted with shelter. Yep. And you know what number they used for shelter? 4.3%. Well, they're, they're, mainly taking into, they're not taking into account the, uh, the mortgage payment side of things. They're taking into account more your utility payments, um, so your gas electric for shelter costs when they're looking at that 4% number. Hmm. What the hell is the difference? Well, the, the home prices, the roof and the, the roof rents and have the gone water, up. Rents up 20% across the whole country. Yeah, so I, I just flash, feel cheated. If, if, your rent, if your rent hasn't gone up yet, that's only because you're locked into your lease and your lease isn't due. Because when it does come due, your rent will get increased. Um, and, and like uh, all this stuff that, we're, uh, that Ron's saying and Max are saying, it's, it's, it's also a reason to like you know, get smart, you know, and like uh, fight back, man, with your own intelligence, with your own mm -hmm. mind, with your own like money. And uh, what I mean by fight back is like, play your game, live the life that you want to live, follow your dreams, do the thing that scares you the most, because it's probably what you want to do anyways. Yep. And, uh, you know, take this advice because there's so much shit that our parents told us and they're like, you got to think about this or think about that. And yes, like, Maybe 
you know, some of the things were like, yeah, you know, you guys might have got played a little bit on that. We're not, we're not going to do that, mm -hmm. you know. But a lot of the things are just like, yo, make these investments early. Work hard now. Buy a home as soon as you can, right? Yep. And if you do need to buy a home, here's obviously the guy to talk to. You know, More than happy to help. 100%. You, even if you're not ready, the biggest thing that I talk with all my clients about is, hey, we, we know where we got to get you. How can we get you there? Mm -hmm. what's, what's your game plan of how you can go from point A to point B? Yeah, it, the absolutely. path is not always linear. It's not easy. Uh, buying a home is the biggest financial decision that you'll make in your life, and you're going to do it maybe three to five times in, in your lifetime. I do this every single day. Mm -hmm. So it's always better to talk to a professional. Absolutely. 100%. Well, so we are—we already know that Ron believes in aliens, <laughs> and that's usually what we do to conclude our episode. Mm -hmm. So, I guess—I guess that's a good wrap. Oh yeah. Anything else anybody wants to say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, bro. Give me some. My hands are sweaty, yeah. but. Thank you for having Becker me. It is, this has been an awesome. It's been an awesome time. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in. I'd love in. to come back on the podcast and talk about whatever the hell you guys want to some other time. Absolutely. Well, well we've got the segment Max's Morning Market Mania, so mm -hmm. I think next time, you know, we should hop on Max's Morning Market Mania together. Hell yeah. Or maybe come in and, uh, you know, dust the rust off on the gaming, bro. I catch these hands, man. <laughs> you don't want to catch these hands, All bro. All right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank question, you the question is, can I use the mouse and keyboard, or are you putting me on the sticks? No, we're putting you on the Either mouse or. and keyboard. Okay, then, then we're good. We're good. We're okay. Good. I, okay. I don't play on the sticks no more. I can't, <laughs> well, I can't touch the console gaming anymore. I suck so much. <laughs> we'll talk to our boy Wonka, the captain of the new school gaming team. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you guys got some value out of this, share the show. It means a lot to us. Uh, we'll be here every Wednesday, every week. Uh, thank you so much to Audio Master Jay Cotter for killing it on the setup, on the mics, on the, the curtains, on everything. Tuning us in real good. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Peace.